Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Queen Pod. We are on a mission to bring you a companion piece to the entire Queen back catalogue, track by track, album by album. And incredibly, the band are very kindly letting us play all their music, which makes us the only podcast on earth with Queen playing all the way through it. However, we do need your support, so if you are in a position to do that, kindly pop over to patreon.com forward slash queenpod to find out how. Over to you, Fred. And welcome to the Queen Pod! Hashtag PQL. Yes, play Queen loud. If that's the only thing you learn from this pod, learn that. Take me to the room where the black's all white and the white's all black. Take me back to the Atcha Shack. Yes, it's me, your host, Rohan Acharya. Now, my love is pumping through my veins, driving me in Simon Lupton, Queen filmmaker extraordinaire. Hello, Simon. How are you? Hello, hello, hello. Very well, thank you very much. Nice yeah? to be back. You happy to have me in you? Yeah. Good, because he shakes all over like a jellyfish. It's comedian and podcaster John Robbins. Hello, everyone. Hello, mate. How are you? I'm okay, thank you. Good. Rocking a darkness hoodie, I see. Uh, no, it's a... It's a Dark Star Brewing Company hoodie. Oh, is it? Oh, um, very nice. Because my well, boiler nice. has broken, so my house is freezing cold at the minute. Classic. Classic. You always have boiler issues. I've got a brand new little Freddy t-shirt, look. I've got that t-shirt. It's great, that. isn't it? Have you? Oh, it's lovely. Nice. It's got uh, the chemical signal, single, uh, chemical symbol for Mercury right there. Right there. Spaceship. There you go. It's perfect. See what they've done there. Um, yeah. Now, I must be strong so she won't know how much I miss her because it's not comedian Suze Kempner this week. She's double busy, but she will be back next time. Do not fear. So, boys, mm. Sausage Fest today. It's going to be lovely. We've finally got past Queen's shaky 70s beginnings and we're going into their pomp as we reach the 80s finally with the game. I'm going to get cancelled by so many Queen fans from having said that, but I'm happy that we've reached the 80s where some Queen fans may be less so. I wonder, John, are you one of those? Are you kind of, where are you? You kind of favour the 70s a little, don't you? Yeah, I think in the 70s, they perhaps had slightly more time to create conceptually whole albums, especially sort of Queen 2, uh, Sheer Heart Attack, Night at the Opera, Day at the Races, 
I think now we're in the territory of writing big, big hits and other songs to create an album. They still have like a feel. They still have a sort of, um, I guess, a guiding style. But I think the perhaps the you you can tell which are the hits more on the eighties albums. Sure. Hmm. And uh, in fact, on the game, uh, we are talking about an album with an insane number of hits on it. Incredible um, uh, performance. But before we get into that glorious, glorious album, shall we do a little bit of Queen of the Champions? We are the champions. We are the champions. Hooray! So, anyone got a Queen moment to share? A little Queen moment that's happened to you in the last couple of weeks? I do have one. Um, oh, yeah? Um, I hope it comes across as being uh, a celebratory because that's what my intention is rather than starting the pod on a sad note. But I was, for obvious reasons, um, reminded today of a very special moment I had um, on my Queen journey uh, when I had the pleasure of interviewing Taylor Hawkins um, a I'm couple so glad of years you brought ago. That up. Yeah. Um, yeah, for the Queen and Adam Lambert documentary. And um, it has remained for a long time as one of the favourite interviews I've ever had the pleasure to do. Because um, before uh, we went, I was given strict instructions that we needed to turn up an hour before we were due to do the interview to get set up. We had to be absolutely ready to go. That He would walk in on time, sit down. We had half an hour with him and then he had to leave. Um, so it really had to go very smoothly. There could be no messing about. So we went to the Foo Fighters studio in LA and got ourselves all set up and we were like thinking, okay, we need to be ready. And we were about half an hour in to getting ready when I just heard this voice coming down the corridor singing, Give me your body! (laughs) 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 And round the corner... Around the corner comes Taylor Hawkins. And I'm like, oh, hell, we're not ready. I was told he wasn't coming for another half hour. So I sort of, we got introduced and I said, I'm really sorry, we're not quite ready yet. He said, hey, man, fine, no problem. Take your time. Just no problem. He then proceeded to sit down at his drum kit and just play. He just started thrashing around on the drums. So the cameraman, as he's setting up, is looking at me as if to go, is this actually happening? Is this really happening right now? Um, And we got ourselves ready and then sort of said, okay, we're ready to go whenever you are. And he said, yeah, sure, no problem. Sat, you know, sauntered over, sat down, gave the interview, was just brilliant. The, The wonderful master of understatement, I think, you know, talking about... You know, how Adam Lambert, you know, is now singing with Queen and sort of saying, you know, he's following in Freddie's shoes. He just shrugs his shoulder and goes, hey, that ain't easy, man. <laughs> Which is like the massive understatement of the year. Um, talked for an hour. Wow. Um, we finished the interview and then he just hung around for another hour while we were packing up. Started playing us stuff on his stereo because he has another little band that he used to play in in pubs and clubs and stuff when the Foos weren't touring. And he was like playing as Queen covers that he'd done with his band. And um, and then just sat on the sofa and was just chatting, wanted to know what we were doing, who else we were talking to. The coolest, nicest man um, you could possibly hope to meet. And um, I just came out of that thinking, God, in another world, wouldn't it be cool to be Taylor Hawkins? He's I'm so glad you brought that up. I mean, R.I.P. Taylor Hawkins, the 
the uh, the Foo Fighters drummer sadly passed away on the 25th of March. Absolutely awful. And and, and Roger, I love what Roger said. He said, um, it's like losing a younger favourite brother. He was a kind, brilliant man and an inspirational mentor to my son Rufus and the best friend one could ever have. Devastated. Mm. And yeah, he was he was such a huge Queen fan. And this was your interview for was it for Days of Our Lives or was it for the Adam Lambert? The Adam Lambert one, yeah. The Adam Lambert yeah. one, yeah, yeah, which was an amazing work, by the way, Simon. Well done. No, thank you. No, but I mean, he just absolutely, you know. I saw. I don't know if it made the cut, but I seem to remember you telling me a story about this bit where he just went, "Yeah, but they're the best ones." Is that? Am I remembering that? He's like, are people say. Oh, Led Zeppelin are the greatest, or, or yeah, Rolling yeah. Stones. What was it? I can't quite remember. Can you remember better than me? Rolling Stones. I'm pretty the... sure he was just talk- he was just talking about Live Aid. I think he was, and he was just sort right. of saying, you know, they're just they are just the best. There's just it's just there's no discussion. Yeah, um, yeah. He was a huge Queen fan, and um, yeah. you know, I've heard stories of of people saying that when he went to see the band sort of rehearse or something like that he would be looking at them the way that people were looking at him. <laughs> Just sort of like wow. jaw on the floor going, oh my God, it's Queen. They're actually there. It's Queen. And people look at him and go, oh my God, it's Taylor Hawkins. It's actually Taylor Hawkins. Which and they collaborated lovely. a lot, didn't they? Actually? They played a lot, There's yeah. loads a little bit. Yeah, Taylor's on um, Brian's Another World album that's coming out. He played the drums on one of the tracks there. Wow. So. And I know Brian played... Uh, on a couple of food tracks as well. Yeah, they, they always get together. So yeah, much missed he will be. I thought it might be uh, a lovely opportunity in our little way to pay a little homage to Taylor uh, where I've I picked out a clip. I hope you've got this. Uh, hello, producer Sam. Are you well? <laughs> yeah, I'm good, thank you. And I, I keep forgetting to clip. introduce you. You it's do? Fine. Good. I, I don't need to introduce you. Just take you for granted, don't I? Um, but I thought we could listen to a, a, a little bit of... Um, Taylor's uh, last performance singing Somebody to Love in Chile uh, on the 18th of March. I thought we could uh, just listen to a little bit of that. Thought yeah. it'd be nice. Want to play a Queen song, Dave? No? Yes. Yeah. 
The late, great Taylor Hawkins. Magnificent drummer, tremendous vocalist. Um, bless you, mister. Uh, our Queen fans all over the world, I'm sure, will be raising a beer to you. Um, let's have a look at whether there's any Queen news, shall we? A little bit of Queen news. Uh, the brilliant documentary that uh, Simon recommended us to uh, all of us last year was um, Freddie Mercury, The Final Act. It's been nominated for an RTS award today. Been nominated for a BAFTA for Specialist Factual. You watched that show, didn't you, John? Yeah, it was absolutely fantastic. I don't know the ins and outs of how it came about, but I think it sort of owes its DNA to the book um, Somebody to Love, the uh, the life, death and legacy of Freddie Mercury. Right. Because uh, so, it's a similar approach in that it it sort of tracks the progression of the AIDS crisis and sort of Freddie's sort of final years mm. in a in a really interesting, at times heartbreaking, quite brutal way, especially when it's covering the British press and Thatcher's approach to uh, the AIDS crisis. But yeah, I, I would recommend it to absolutely everyone. I thought it was, I thought it was brilliant. Such a powerful context, isn't it? Hearing from... Those that lost so many friends at the time. Amazing thing. If you haven't managed to find it, please check it out. It's beautiful. Also, I know uh, Elton John's a huge fan. I think Freddie would have been too of It's a Sin. So if you haven't seen that series yet, that's been nominated for a million BAFTAs. It covers a similar time time frame, but is from the perspective of a a group of young people in a house share uh, during the, the outbreak of AIDS. And it's it's an unbelievable piece of TV. It really is. It really is incredible. It's Russell T Davis, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm desperate to see it, but then I'm, I sort of, I'm dreading how harrowing it's going to be as an experience. Yeah, it's not an easy watch. Quite, you know, Saturday night. What am I going to watch? But I, of brilliant. course, it's it will so be gripping. It's incredibly it? life affirming as well. Mm. It's 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 so much about youth. <laughs> And yes. about how that sort of power of youth and but in the background, how how tremendously sad it was for this movement who were just in the very beginnings of of getting acceptance, even though there's a huge amount of institutional and interpersonal homophobia around. But to finally find the places where you could be yourself, even if it was limited to Soho, basically, and New York. But at that stage, to have it cut down so brutally by by a, a disease which fed into an awful lot of prejudice, it's just a wonderful, wonderful piece of TV. Yeah, yeah. No, I must, I must watch that. I absolutely must. Uh, listeners may know that we have a lovely Patreon uh, called uh, where you go along to www.patreon.com forward slash queenpod and you can find out how to support us. It doesn't cost much. We do need that support. Um, and one of the lovely things you get as a reward is a big thank you for us on the pod itself. So let us do that without any further ado. I am going to thank the lovely Kimberly Stoner, uh, who I've interacted with some times, some quite a few times on our Facebook uh, Queen Pod fan site. Uh, Simon, who have you got? I'd like to send a big thank you to Alan Dudeney. I mean, I don't know if I pronounce that name right. It could be Dudeney, but I just think Dudeney just reflects what a dude he is for your Patreon <laughs> yeah, support. Yeah. So I'm going with that one. Cheers, Alan. <laughs> nice one, Alan. Thank you so much. Uh, also very active on the socials. And John? 
I am thanking the one and only Nicola Collins. Thank you, Nicola, for your support. It means a great deal. It does. It does. I love that bit of the show. It's my favourite bit in many, many ways. But actually, my favourite bit is talking about the music. Let's do that. Yes. We have reached the game, which was released on the 30th of June, 1980. And we're looking at the first side of the game today. Simon, Mm. would you like to give us your little potted history and context for this wonderful album? Love to. Um, Because regular listeners will, I'm sure, recall that during our Greatest Hits mini-pod series, when discussing songs like Save Me and Crazy Little Thing Called Love, I talked about how this was the time when the band changed the way they worked in the studio. Um, Normally each band member would turn up to the studio with an idea for a song. It might be rough or it might be fully worked out, but essentially there would be something for the rest of the band to then get stuck into and build on. But after the jazz album and feeling they were in a bit of a rut at this time, they all felt a more impromptu, organic approach would be the creative challenge they needed. And so they simply booked studio time and rocked up to see what would happen. Their studio of choice was Musicland in Munich. Uh, The Stones, Zeppelin, ELO, Deep Purple had all worked there, mainly with resident engineer Reinhold Mack, and Queen were curious to see why it was so popular. Um, Well, as it turned out, this new approach and setting clearly suited them and led to what would be globally their biggest album to date. On its release, the game not only went straight into the UK chart at number one, but also became the band's first number one album in the US. Um, And by the end of 1980, Crazy Little Thing Called Love and Another One Bites the Dust had become two of the five top-selling singles in the US, with Dust selling over three and a half million copies alone. The album was a smash hit globally, going five times platinum in Canada, for example, while also making Queen the biggest-selling band in South America without them ever actually having set foot in the continent. Wow. Um, But uh, these were not the only changes the band instigated this time. As we will no doubt discuss later, synthesizers made their way onto a cute Queen album for the first time after years of residently refusing to indulge them. And this, coupled with some very distinctive sounding singles that showcased a new side to Queen, uh, it introduced a whole new wave of fans to the band. However, by far the most significant change was to their look. By this point, Roger, John and Freddie's hair had got much shorter, gone with the Harlequin unitards and flowing shirts to be replaced by a very heavy leather look, or in John's case, a shirt and tie. Uh, Controversially, by the time Play the Game was released, a moustache had been unveiled by Freddie. Um, To say the response from some Queen fans was out of proportion would be something of an understatement, with the Queen offices flooded with disposable razors sent by fans (laughs) imploring him to get rid of it. No! Um, One last thing that amused me was uh, in October 1979, um, as I'm sure many people know, Freddie took part in a special charity gala performance by the Royal Ballet, which saw him feature in two choreographed dances. Uh, He put weeks of rehearsal uh, into it and it clearly paid off and it went down an absolute storm, allowing Freddie to realise his dream of being a ballet dancer. However, (laughs) events such as this, alongside the introduction of Freddie's new leather look, prompted Rob Halford, lead singer of Judas Priest and a well-established leather wearer, to say in an interview that if Freddie wanted to wear the leather gear, he should confirm his macho image by competing in a spin around Brands Hatch racetrack on a racing motorbike. When this challenge really? was put to Freddie, 
He accepted, but only no. if Rob took a turn on stage with the Royal Ballet first. Ah, <laughs> uh, brilliant. <laughs> Needless to say, the matter was never discussed again. <laughs> oh, you can't get one past Fred. He was smart. He was smarter than everybody. He was smart. What a guy. He was a very smart man. That was very good. Well done, Simon. You're welcome. I don't know how you do these things, but I'm very, very happy. That was great. Listen, why don't we um, do one of my favourite games, which is uh, just have a look at how how the album charted, shall we? Shall we see what was Mm. in the top five? Um, So uh, it it debuted at number two, but uh, by the 13th of July, a week later, it hit number one. Uh, At number five, it beat out uh, King of the Road by Boxcar Willie. At number Mm. four uh, was Flash and Blood by Roxy Music. At number three, Deepest Purple by Deep Purple. At number two, Emotional Rescue by the Rolling Stones. So all massive, Ooh. massive bands, right? Big bands, uh, yeah. And at number one, The Game by Queen. Absolutely awesome. Uh, it reached number one uh, in the USA, which is, uh, made, it, made it the Queen's first and only album to hit at number one in the US. Uh, and it's their best-selling studio album in the USA with over 4 million copies sold, which is absolutely amazing. All four of the album singles reached the top 20 in the UK singles charts. That's a crazy little thing called Love, uh, Save Me, uh, Play the Game, and Another One Bites the Dust all uh, made it uh, into the top 20, which is incredible. Um, and you touched on uh, the first use of th- synthesizers there. Um, and uh, I've got a lovely little quote from Roger on that, which is, um, I'm afraid that was my fault. I b- <laughs> bought this <laughs> Oberheim polyphonic synth and I showed it to Fred and immediately he was like, oh, this is good, dear. In <laughs> 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 come the synthesizers, which is amazing. I mean, so this is a big album for me. It's not. Uh, it's an album that I discovered once I'd already begun my Queen journey. But I think it is my favourite Queen album, to the point that I've said that to Brian. Um, And I think it also has my personal favourite Queen song of all time on it. Um, In that, if anyone were to ask me, if a a muggle were to ask me, I'd say somebody to love, because they'll have heard of that. And that's Mm. my official answer, but my personal private answer has this track on it. How about you, John? Um, How do you feel about the game? Is it a comfortable place for you, a happy place? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think... (sighs) I'm not sure Brian would say it was his favourite album because mm. it's it's quite guitar light mm. and it's also quite rock light. Mm. In fact, you can't really, you couldn't really name a sort of out and out rock track because the 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 standout singles are quite a few different genres, which I you know I think is brilliant. It's always in the back of my head that I think we we've just got this big difference between the singles and the and the album tracks and it's the so for example if you were to listen to um queen 2 sort of all the songs are part of a whole and i don't think any one song necessarily bursts out mm. whereas they totally chose the right singles here so it's not a criticism of the album they 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 made absolutely the right decision in terms of the the singles i think even though my favourite track is on the second side, I would say the okay. first the first side is much stronger. I think perhaps for me, Crazy Little Thing Called Love is not my not one of my sort of top Queen songs. And because it sort of it it takes up quite a chunk of your of my sort of vision of this album. Uh I perhaps that's why it's I'm I'm just maybe slightly cool towards the album. 
but I, I, I do. There are elements of it which I really love, uh, which I'm sure we'll talk about uh, over the next two episodes. I think it's probably a good thing that I think so the synthesizers did lay the basis for them becoming the biggest band in the world. Yeah. I don't think they would have become the biggest band in the world if they had sort of carried on ploughing a, a more sort of proggy, rocky fur- furrow. So I'd sort of say it's in the middle for me of, of all all my favourite Queen albums. But there are there are bits of it that I mean, my probably my favourite musical moment in 80s Queen is on this album, if that's not too overqualified. No, that's, yeah, fair play. Yeah, I can see what you're saying. I mean, I think, um, so as a kid, there was maybe one track on this album that I wasn't too keen on, but even now, there isn't a single track on this album I don't absolutely adore. Um, It is their shortest album, and it is the one that I play the most. It really is. I I love it. I love the design of it. Um, Yeah. as, as a, like the LP is all silvery and lovely, and um, uh, and the playing of it is a joy. And I also think I just love the Mac era. I I, I really like that the sound that he got out of that out of the band. I just I really enjoy. There's a, there's there's quite a. I know what you're saying about Crazy Little Thing Called Love, but for me it does fit, fit nicely in the in the sound they're producing on this album. Yeah, I think also this is the album where they sort of all went a bit nuts. Personally, I think they all had struggles during the recording process. Oh, really? I think it's sort of this into hot space was a was yeah a, was a, a yeah a challenging period for them all. Yeah, sort of quite ahead. I mean, it was a very busy period for them. If you bear in mind, nineteen eighty, they were doing this. They, Brian was quite heavily working on the Flash album, and then they had Greatest Hits coming out next year and Hot Space coming out next year and Part of that was under pressure. Work, you know, there was a huge amount of industry going on over this sort of eighty to eighty-one. It's, it's sort a, of, yeah, you know. it's a massive sort of um, period of productivity for sure. Yeah, and I think I think along with the working hard came the playing hard. You know, and Munich yeah, suited that. Um, That's true. So uh, yeah, I think I think John's description of going slightly nuts is probably <laughs> very accurate. Have you guys heard of the Sugar Shack? Yes, yes. The you club. So, where are the Sugar Shack, Simon? Of course, you will be. The um, Munich, so, yeah, yeah um, uh, this was uh, a disco club um, called the Sugar Shack that was uh, near the studio, and their recording routine uh, would uh, essentially uh, have them regularly going to that club, uh, and they went there so much it became known as the Office. <laughs> according to <laughs> that's how Mac referred to it, and Dragon Attack, of course, will be coming on to even refers to the shack um and uh this uh, exuberant uh, nightlife would often end up in the hotel either in Roger's suite which was nicknamed HH for the hetero hangout or Freddy's suite which was nicknamed PPP which is the presidential puff parlor which I think is wonderful I love that they've got that <laughs> sense of humor about themselves um and and they would take the songs out to the Sugar Shack to test them. Uh, and according to Brian, the band would take tracks down there after hours and play them over their system to see how they would work. Anything with a bit of groove and space sounded good. So like the band Bad Company sounded brilliant in there because there was a lot of space in that song. We played some of our stuff like Tell Your Mother Down and it didn't work because it was crammed with so many things that there was no space. After that, we became obsessed with leaving space in our music and making songs that would sound great in the Sugar Shack which I think kind oh. of 
gives you a really nice insight into that sort of clean, cleaner sound that they're getting into. Listen, why don't we listen to some music, eh? Um, we're going to start with uh, Play the Game, which was uh, written by Freddie Mercury. We talked about this at some length uh, on our Greatest Hits mini pod episode 13. I mean, it's it, there are, what, three singles on this side? Like, mm. the Cream de la Queen is a choice of two. The Queen de la Queen is a choice of two <laughs> for us today. Um, but uh, let's listen to a little bit. I thought we'd listen to basically the end of it. It's a lovely tune. It always reminds me of this one because it's it's on greatest hits. Everyone knows it. It's kind of the equivalent in Abba, say if it was Abba's uh, catalogue. It's the sort of equivalent of like something like Chikatita. <laughs> like it's not like you always think of the winner takes it all or or uh, Waterloo or whatever, um, which are their sort of bohemian rhapsodies and 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 somebody loves and whatnot. Uh, we are the champions, and then but everyone knows this song. But it isn't sort of at the same level of those as those tracks. But I, I, I love it lyrically. I, I really do enjoy it. Fred's got a real feel on this. Go on, John. I just think it's it's this is Deacon's album for me. Um mm. I think he's supreme. And the the album itself is bookended by two of his best bass lines in um Play the Game and uh, Save Me. And I just think he's so frisky on this album. Mm. He's just got all these little um, these little runs he does and these little accents and he's always sort of going up an octave on the on the bass I, I, if I could listen to sort of any album with just the isolated uh, bass stems it would be the game I think and I think probably the, the, the direction they've gone in impacts Roger and Brian the most in terms of their level in the mix and that sort of comes to a head in hot space where they sort of fight back with their own tracks. So not that it was necessarily at this point, uh, I mean, I'm sure they're always, they said they were always sort of fighting like cats and dogs. Um, Hot Space feels more like there's two two sort of powers uh, battling for supremacy, but I just think it allows, I think it's more in John's uh, wheelhouse, the music yes. that they're playing, and, and he just absolutely shines. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. That's a really, really good observation. Um, yeah, John has... I think this is the first album where John has got a, a really potent voice on it. That's exactly it. You know, it is... You know, if, if he's been in any way shy up to this point, he's not shy anymore, is he? Um, yeah, phenomenal. And I, I just wanted to give a shout-out to Roger's drumming on this. There are certain tracks... So, with Roger, I always... When I first think of uh, Roger drumming, I always think of that... Uh, is it the uh, sort of behind the scenes of the One Vision music video and he's doing all his little and all that kind of stuff and it's all really tight and really fast and he's amazing he's a great precision drummer and you'll you'll be able to speak to this better than I can Simon because you're a percussionist but there are these tracks where 
he goes into this almost loose mode mm. where it's all just and actually there's that version of and his eyelids are half closed while he's doing it <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's 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 he always keeps the drums interesting in every single track he never repeats yeah. himself he keeps them interesting there's a progression through the song how the hell does he do it man how do you make drums sound interesting <laughs> <laughs> well he is he is quite special in that i mean i think him he is a very um lyrical drummer if you like more than a lot um but where we've talked in the past about how brian is always so good at his guitar solos being just enough i really Mm. think that's absolutely true of roger's drumming as well you know we know Mm. that he can hit them we know that he can be impressive and technically brilliant but when the song just needs something a nice bedrock to sit on and just He'll he'll do that, you know. He knows that less is often more, and it's not due yeah. to lack of ability. It's actually a reading of what the song needs, which um, yeah. And you're right; it just makes it sound part of the musical Absolutely. core of the song. The, the drums are singing just as much as the rest. But um, but I'm very much you know with you guys on it. This is this is Deaky's album. Step up, Mister JD. This is <laughs> your time to shine. Yes, I think this album is the reason why Queen fans. Well, it's not the only reason, but it's a big reason why we've had to absolutely adore our Tiki. Um, yeah. yeah, fantastic. And I'm just going to do a quick shout out while we're here for a non-album track called A Human Body, which was on the B-side of Play the Game, which was a, a Roger Taylor track. And we discussed this on our ranking episode and, and John Robbins picked it at his favourite. So that is great. Really great. <laughs> Brilliant, brilliant choice, John. A really brilliant choice. Let's move on to. Let's move. Yeah, if you have heard that, it's incredible that we're actually all back on a Zoom together and actually speaking to each other. Let's be honest. That was awesome fun. Um, okay. This is it. I've finally reached it. This is my personal favourite Queen song of all time. I've told Brian this to his face. I'm happy, happy, happy. Um, are you waving at me producer sam for any reason no i was just adjusting my glasses but this is also uh, my favorite queen song it is also your favorite queen song because yeah. uh you do what i tell you that's yeah. what it is that's how it works yeah <laughs> um so um uh, but good choice man you've got great taste i do not know where you get it from um and uh yeah uh, let's look let's listen to it i'm gonna play a big fat chunk of dragon attack Thank you. 
so cool. It's so cool. I'm all goosebumpy. I think the reason why I, I resonate with this uh, so strongly, lads, is because at the time I was getting into Queen, all of my friends at school, it was all the the, the sort of beginning of the rise of indie Britpop. So they were all listening to Suede and the Stone Roses and the Happy Mondays and the Shaman and all that stuff was really cool. And I was listening to Queen, which was not cool. And, um, and mm. then I heard this track and I'm like, but this is... This is cool. I don't care who you are. This is definitely cool. You don't have to be from Manchester and on E to be cool. This is cool. And uh, I was like, yeah. And I would I would go into school and go, well, what about this? And they would begrudgingly admit it was all right. They're kind of, yeah, all right. Um, <laughs> but it still wasn't, you know, you couldn't dance to it. like. But, and, and that was the moment in my life where I went, I don't care anymore what other opinions, other people's opinions mm. of stuff is. I care about what my opinion. This feels good to me. This sounds good to me. I love this, and I will listen to this. And I think that's something that stayed with me my whole life. There's there's things in the ethos of Queen that help you reinforce that about yourself as well, right? That's that's very much their vibe. They they did their thing. Um, but enough from me. What did you think of the track? Uh, let's go to Simon. Well, I think also you probably like it because it's about dragons, or it's got dragons. <laughs> it really is about dragons. I, I, I love bloody dragons. I love them. You love dragons. Absolutely. They're so... I, I love them. I love them. Yeah. Dragons and spaceships, mate. That's what I'm all about. Yeah, no, I know, because I remember very early on in Game of Thrones, I said, who do you think will ultimately win? And you went, Daenerys, because she's got a dragon. As far as yeah. you're concerned, that was the only... <laughs> <laughs> that was the only criteria needed. Anyway, um, I, I think it's great. And I love your choice of um, clip because I it reminds me a bit of a sort of a, a live band, you know, jazz band on stage where each member gets to show off for a bit. And you, yeah. you start with the drums and then you get that brilliant bass solo by John and then yeah. Brian comes in with the guitars and then it finishes with the, the lovely harmonies, you know, where you really they really showcase their vocal ability. Um, so it's kind of like saying... We've got it all. Here it all is. Yeah. We'll break it all down, play it individually, and then stick it all back together again, and here you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. John, are you going to piss all over the fire I've just built? <laughs> no, I, I love this track. I think it's oh, my, second, my second favourite on the album. And I think it's, like, two things about it are quite stick out. Firstly, I think it's the first Queen song on an album that sounds nothing like anything they've ever done before. Hmm. Like... Pretty much every song, there's a progression up until sort of the end of jazz where you can sort of see where everything's come from. But this is a like, wow, this is sort of a total new approach to a song, a total new style. Yeah. I don't think it's driven by bass. Yeah. I, and I don't think you would pick it as a Brian May track either because he mm, wrote. No, it. you're right. And also, I think it's the first time you see something that they go on to do quite a lot in the 80s where everyone gets an individual little solo. Yeah. And it might even be the first bona fide bass solo in Queen. That's There's sort of little point. bass runs, but actually everyone's sitting back and John playing sort of 12 bars himself. Mm. Yeah. I don't mm. know if it's happened in this way before. So it's a whole lot of new stuff for Queen, and I think it works really well. I think the drum fill is insane. Yeah, I I really like. It's quite an unusual guitar sound for Brian. It's quite scratchy. It's quite sort of like razor like. Um, I think it's it's brilliant. It's 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 flawless. It is flawless. Oh, that's the word. It's flawless from John Robbins. 
I'm so happy. Um, yay. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I adore it. I've got a few quotes from the band here. In 82, John simply said, it's my favourite song, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I love. But Roger gave us some insight onto his drumming here, um, uh, where he said, uh, as a drummer, you need a sense of time, a sense of rhythm, a sort of inner clock. And... Uh, uh, and that you need really naturally. You have to have aggression. And lastly, I would say you definitely need stamina. But you do learn tricks, apart from the fact that you develop more stamina. Your mus- muscles get more used to what's demanded from them. We used to do a song called Dragon Attack, and it was very hard on the right wrist. An extraordinarily weird little insight that this song requires more... There's just so much emphasis on whatever it is he's doing with his, his right hand. Yeah, I'd I'd wager that Roger couldn't play this as is on the album anymore. It's one it's one of those bits of hmm. musicianship where you have to be at the top of your game and you have to be like really fit and incredibly uh, well trained. So hmm. I I I would imagine they wouldn't attempt this live in this form now. Well, they did do it. They did it with Adam a few years ago. Yeah. Did they? It was glorious. Yeah. Simon took me along to watch um, at the Apollo and it turned up in the Hammersmith Apollo. It turned up in the set list and I just went absolutely back. <laughs> I went nuts. But did, then to be did fair, Did he play the both... fill as is? Oh, now you're testing my memory. I think he did a drum solo there, but I think he had... Rufus playing alongside him on yeah. a second kit for that gig, didn't he, Simon? Am I mad? Well, he's, he's had a sort of percussionist with him ever since. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, and that's that's not like a criticism because there's there's an, entire, there's an entire Metallica album that they could never play outside of the studio because <laughs> yes. it's too fast. Well, I was chatting to a comedian called Garrett Millerick a few days ago, and and he'd just been to see uh, the Genesis tour, mm. um, and uh, Phil Collins's son plays the entire gig now and apparently he's absolutely amazing and the crowd goes bananas for him but at this point Phil has got to a point where because he had some medical condition developed from uh, there was something that he'd done to deal with there was a way that they would deal with the the voice and it's affected his he's got Brit, uh, sort of his bones bones are a little bit more brittle than they should be from mm. a way that they would treat uh, vocal stress back in the 80s so he just can't he just can't do that anymore, right? Um, so no, I think that's, very sad. that's yeah. a reasonable thing. That boy could still sing, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was, apparently, it was an amazing, amazing gig. Speaking of the game, shall we play a game? Yes, let's. Let's have a listener question from producer Sam, please. Play the game, play the game. Sam, take it away. What have you got for us? Hey guys. Uh, hey. Today, well, in keeping with this sort of transition from the 70s to the 80s, we have a question from Peter Newell. Hello, Peter. He kind of made an observation that 70s Queen did see Brian and Roger sing a song or two per album. You'd hear from them quite a bit. But post the game, this kind of stopped. There's shared vocals on like Let Me Live, but there's not much. So Peter would like to know, what songs do you think Brian and Roger would sound good on replacing Freddie's vocal? <sighs> Peter wow. would like to not include vocals like Radio Gaga, which we've now seen Roger sing on tour with Paul and Adam. 
Um, and then vice versa as well. What Brian or Roger vocals would you like to have heard Freddie sing? It can be a Queen song or a solo offering. Peter's suggestions are he'd like to hear Roger do Sheer Heart Attack and the Hitman. Brian, Don't Try So Hard. And Freddie, Man on Fire. Oh, they're all good mm. choices. It's a very difficult question, this. Well, it is because it's interesting is, you know, I think Brian has said in the past, you know, why why would he and Roger sing the songs when he stood yeah. next to you is one of the greatest vocalists in, in music mm. history. Um, but of course, there were some songs that, that sort of lent themselves to, to Roger and, and Brian's voice, um, mm. which is why they like 39, for example, was very personal to Brian. So that's why he... But then we got to hear Freddie sing that live. And then so we get to hear Freddie sing that it live. That was really so, nice. Yeah. Yeah. And Freddie does yeah. it brilliantly, of course. So many years ago, now I'm older, mother's eyes, in her eyes, cried me. Don't you hear my call? Though you're many years away, don't you hear me calling you? Write your letters in the sand, for the day I take your hand. I am really struggling to think of any songs where I want to replace Freddie Mercury's vocal. <laughs> well, I, I just wouldn't can't... mind. I wouldn't mind hearing Roger sing "It's Late." Ooh. Oh, that's a fun one. That's a nice one. I also that's a fun one. I wouldn't mind hearing Roger sing "Bohemian Rhapsody" actually, because I think he's got a lot of the notes. It would be interesting to hear a sort of gruffer version of it, but I think "It's Late" would would fit Roger's vocals the best. Mm, mm. Yeah, maybe tracks like that, like "I Want It All" as well, would be kind of yeah, you know, fun to hear as Roger. Yeah, I wonder if Freddie on "Long Away" might have been a better fit than Brian. Yes, it might have been a, that little bit freer and more open in a way. Mm. Yeah, it's a little push that track. That's a good observation. Mm. Yeah, I I, I think uh, the only two I've come up with. Uh, is is I'd like to hear Freddie sing these songs. Uh, the, the one of them is on this album, which is "Sail Away, Sweet Sister," um, and I just think he could do a beautiful job on that. Or am I going mad? Does he sing "Sail Away"? No, Brian sings that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Brian sings so I, I would have liked to. I think I would love to hear a a Freddie version of that song. The one, the one that is slightly heartbreaking. But every time I hear "Only the Good Die Young," I find myself oh. just. Wishing so much that there was a verse of it that Freddie had recorded at some point and that w- was able to be included in that track, just just to have all three of them there. It, it it's even more poignant that Freddie isn't part of it. But that is the one where every time I hear it, I'm like, I, I just wish there was a bit of Maiden Heavening available for this track. So yeah. much, so yeah. much. That, I would have loved is that. Is that why you hate it so much? <laughs> I don't hate it. <laughs> Why? What made you think I hate only the good die young? Six. six. Oh, for God's sake, get over it. <laughs> As you can see, listeners, the wounds are still very fresh. <laughs> Just because my cup is half full and your cup is half empty, right? <laughs> We're not getting into it. We went into it well enough. I like happy songs. You like sad songs. Let's leave it at that. All right. Have we ruined that question or have we answered it well? Has anyone got any other little ideas or thoughts on that? That's good. I think it's great. Well done, Peter. Thank you for that question. Please keep them coming in. Send them to queenpod at thequeenpodcast.com or uh, you can um, 
Patreon message us if you're a patron, or you can just, I don't know, slap it on Facebook. Get it to us, and uh, we will uh, read them out. Send us a recording uh, of you uh, asking a question, and we'll play you on this very pod so you can hear yourself back. And I tell you, there is nothing more um, flattering than hearing yourself back on the podcast. Uh, right. Very quickly, uh, don't don't just slap it on Facebook, because we will probably not see it. So do email or Patreon, please. Yeah, or slap it on Facebook. So... <laughs> <laughs> We are now into this mega track uh, uh, called Another One Bites the Dust, which in a way that sort of bass-driven dragon attack has kind of paved the way for us to listen to uh, Another One Bites the Dust. We are now ready for it. We did discuss this at length on our Greatest Hits Minipod uh, episode two. Um, but again, I thought we'd... Uh, the, I haven't really played the end section of this song on that Minipod, we played all that kind of weird stuff that happens in the middle of it, which is really kind of innovative. But uh, I just thought we'd listen to Freddie going increasingly... <laughs> just It just goes for it as the song starts to come to its close. It's brilliant. Another one bust the dust. Another one bust the dust. Ow! Another one bust the dust. Hey, hey! Another one bust the dust. love it when he goes ow it's so cool <laughs> it's so cool this is credited as queen's best-selling single with over seven million copies sold worldwide shall we see what was in the top 10 when this came out yeah How it charted? you like this like this game didn't have time to do this on the mini pod so it was released on the 22nd of august 1980 and peaked at number seven beginning the 21st of September 1980. At number 10, we had Eighth Day by Hazel O'Connor. At number 9, Modern Girl by Sheena Easton. Number 8, D-I-S-C-O by Ottawan. What a track. <laughs> 7, we've got um, another one, Bites the Dust, of course. At number 6, It's Only Love slash Beyond the Reef by Elvis Presley, who died not so long ago, a couple of years previously. At number 5, Baggy Trousers by Madness. Thank you very much. Uh, number three, Master Blaster or Jammin' by um, Stevie Wonder. Huge track. Number two, One Day I'll Fly Away by Randy Crawford. Mm. Maybe has not aged as well, but is a, still a huge track. And at number one, Don't Stand So Close to Me by The Mighty Police, of course. Wow. So they were in good company. There's no doubt about that. Um, uh, go on, Simon. What would you like to say about another one bites the dust that you haven't already said, please? <laughs> Ah, uh, gosh, is there anything more to say that we haven't said mm-hmm. before? It's um, Yeah, there is. There's loads. What can you say? I mean, it's a huge track. A- again, another of um, kind of Queen's sort of standout 
hits uh, in terms of people who don't know much about Queen. Everybody knows this song, um, mainly because it got adopted by all the sports arenas, you know, and yes, uh, of course, stadiums. Yeah. So it sort of had a life beyond um, the band, as it were. I just love the fact that you know that John has often spoken about it started off as being a song about cowboys. Um, and that's what it was all about. But then as they started to work on it, it got heavier and heavier. And then he just realised that the lyrics were just silly. <laughs> so they kind of <laughs> they kind of changed it, which I think I'd love to have heard this version of it with the original lyrics. It could have been great fun. But um, doesn't that doesn't that mean both of the Queen's biggest songs were originally songs about cowboys? Well, wasn't, yes. Yeah. Wasn't Bohemian Rhapsody's working title something about cowboys? It was referred oh, yeah, to the as cowboy the cowboy song. song. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but um, yeah. So obviously, if they perhaps referred to cowboys a bit more often, we might have had even more hits. But um, it's it's just it's just one of those songs you automatically identify with Queen, don't you? As soon as you hear it. Um, but and I also love surprising people where they go, "Yeah, she's written by John Deacon." Yeah, it was written by. John Deacon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And people go, "No way!" Go, yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you go, "Yeah, the bass player," and they go, "Oh yeah, that makes sense." <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, can you? Either of you name a bass line more famous than this? Well, probably only under pressure, I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. That isn't by quite well, a kind of magic, sure. But, yeah. maybe, you know. Well, I, I was thinking about like how often Queen, Queen have a, a, an instrumental opening that's immediately recognisable, whether it's the claps on We Will Rock You, the bass line under pressure, the bass line on this. Not many other bands have that. Like, even the most famous Rolling Stones song, you'd have to take a beat just to play it forward in your head to go, oh, that's, um, that's, uh, Gimme Shelter. Gimme Shelter, yeah. right, Whereas, yeah, you know, exactly that's, that. yeah, that's another one by us. <laughs> I yeah. would say Walk on the Wild Side probably has oh, as yes. recognisable an opening bass line. And also yes. similarly sampled, because it's important to remember just how often Another One Bites the Dust appears in, in other songs which doesn't happen that often with Queen, but an awful lot of um, sort of funk and rap songs have sampled uh, the bass line. I mean, I genuinely can only think of um, MC Hammer and You Can't Touch This, which is a sample anyway. But uh, John said some interesting stuff about this. So uh, He said that the bass line was inspired by Good Times by the disco group Chic, who he had spent some time hanging out with. He'd hung out with Chic at their studio during recording sessions. Um, and he said, um, when he was speaking to bassist and bass techniques in April 96, he said, I listened to a lot of soul music when I was in school and I've always been interested in that sort of music. I've been wanting to do a track like Another One Bites the Dust for a while, but originally all I had was the line and the bass riff. Gradually I filled it in and the band added ideas I could hear it as a song for dancing But had no idea it would become as big as it did The song got picked up off our album And some of the black radio stations in the US Started playing it, which we've never had before Michael Jackson actually suggested we release it as a single He was a fan of ours, of ours And used to come to the show um, And I think that uh, The way those black radio stations Picked it up, I think it like happened over three weeks It was like overnight And kind of out of their control and completely unexpected at the time mm. it had a, a, an enormous bit of of impact um but yeah they there were some disagreements over the track 
That's for sure. Um, Brian uh, said about that, that Freddie would certainly fight for things he believed in, like another one bites the dust, which was a bit of a departure for Queen. Roger at the time certainly felt that it wasn't rock and roll. was quite angry at the way it was going. And Freddie said, darling, leave it to me. I believe in this. John had written the song, but it took Freddie's support to make it happen. And uh, they also talk a lot about how how hard Freddie went for this track. Like they, they're often talk about Freddie getting into the recording and going and going and going until his throat started to bleed. You know, mm. I mean, he he loved this thing, and I, I, you know, I think it speaks to their bond. Actually, the Freddie and John Deacon, the Freddie Mercury John Deacon creative bond that they shared. I think they had. Um, they're both very shy people, right? Yeah, we'll never talk about that again. Let's move on, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, listen, let's let's listen uh, to a John Deacon track, another John Deacon track, back to back. We've got John Deacon tracks here, and uh, this is the mighty Need Your Loving tonight. <laughs> Do you make of need your loving? Um, like, <laughs> to come back. I, I don't know who it's for, and I don't know who it's from. Okay. Do you know what I mean? It's it feels like a sort of a lesser crazy little thing called love. So I think it's sort of positioning in the album is quite strange. Mm-hmm. I, it's not my sort of musical style. Yeah, that rock and roll sound isn't particularly your vibe, is it? Yeah, I, it just doesn't... I'm always quite flummoxed by songs that don't sound like Queen songs, but <laughs> not when they're the really good ones, which is such a lame <laughs> thing to say, because obviously Dragon Attack doesn't necessarily sound like a Queen song. What does sound like a Queen song? When you say that, what do you mean? Because you do say that sometimes, and I do. I kind of wonder what you mean. Well, I like think play it's the, the har- game sounds like a Queen song. It's the harmonies and the guitar, right? I think that or sort of Freddie's sort of vocals really doing what they were sort of born to do. 
this feels like a sort of like a pub band. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's almost like a wedding band, obviously of the of the highest caliber mm, mm, for royal weddings. I don't know. I mean, you, <laughs> you know what I'm sort of getting at? It's you wouldn't. It would be quite far down your list of memorable Queen songs. I think. Oh, I've got a real soft spot for it, but I, I I I accept your point. I mean, I think for me, it's sort of um a more success for me. It's a more successful song than uh the one that was on the previous album. What am I thinking of? Um. Uh oh my god it's on side A if you can't uh, beat them if you can't beat them join them that, that song if you can't beat them it has that sort of upbeat rock John Deacon kind of pop sound but for me yeah. this is a much more successful wholesome total complete song uh, than I'm than, not than sure Queen are a wholesome band though Do you know what I mean and I mean that as a compliment I don't think okay. they are wholesome Okay this feels like a sort of, you know, if you were around in America in the sort of late 50s, a lot of garage bands would be playing this sort of song at the local dance. Right. And people would be having sort of soda pops and <laughs> and burgers and sort of... Yeah. I don't know. It's not It's not it's, there it for is, me, it I'm afraid. It's got an Americana about it. Um uh, and, and it was released as a single in America as well. Interesting, um, and I, I, I could see why out of the tracks on this album that maybe you're not. But for me, whenever it comes up, I'm like I'm bopping away. I'm so happy. I'm happy that it comes up. But it's not. Uh, it's definitely not a skipper for me. And also in the same way that um, on the album in the sequence of songs, Dragon Attack lays the ground, prepares you for another one, bites the dust. Need your loving takes you from. That quite nicely into uh, yeah, that's a good point. A little thing called love. I think it's lovely and it's placed in a beautiful place. Jo- uh, what do you think, Simon? Are you are you more or less enamoured with this track than uh, no, Mister? I'm, I'm a bit of a, a bit of a sucker for a dicky ditty. Um, yes, I think you know uh, this reassured me that after his powerhouse, that is another one bites the dust that he still has in his canon a nice gentle dicky ditty. Um, which is which is great. Um, yeah, I like you. I, I like it. I mean, I don't. I don't think any of us would would be arguing that. Oh, they should have released this as a single rather than one of the songs that they did release as a single. Sure. Um, but I definitely feel as a kind of an album track, it's it's a, it's a very good one, and um, I always enjoy listening to it. Good. So do I. And uh, I uh, again, it's got. There's something about all the tracks have a certain sound on this album that kind of separates it. It's, you could, it's, it's a very the game sound that Matt's given them. It's, it's almost a sort of metallic sheen on every track. Mm. I don't know whether it's the album design that gives me that, but it kind of feels like that to me. And, and Need Your Loving has got that to it. Um, well, it's, it's it an is... odd mix of, of white America and black America musically. Mm. Right. And, you know, they're, they're really butted up against each other on on this side which isn't a bad thing it's an interesting contrast but a bit like news of the world you could tell was geared towards an american market i think this album Absolutely. is really like you know airmail this to the billboard but interestingly need your love and tonight charted at in i think outside the top 40 in america yeah and i just. wonder if if you were an american listening to the, that in 1980 you think guys I mean, I was playing this when I was 15, in yeah. the 50s kind of thing. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. But, you know, I mean, 
that's actually still pretty good for Queen being at number 44 on the US Billboard. Obviously, Another World Bites the Dust got to number one over there and all the rest of it. But, um, you know, uh, yeah, yeah I'm, I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm down on it in any way. I, I really enjoy it. Uh, well, there's a couple of little snippets here that I think um, are interesting. I'm going to channel Suze Kempner for a little moment because this is one of the first Queen songs to put a reverb effect on Freddie's vocal. It's mm, interesting. Yeah, can you explain that to us, Suze? What effect that would have? A bit of an echo. Thank you, Suze. So, um, <laughs> and um, uh, uh, and producer Mac described how he obtained the snare drum sound for the song. He said, uh, "You don't mic the snare drum from an angle down towards it and one at the bottom. I just use one on the side." Oh. What does that mean, Simon? I'm not. In, well, I mean. I'm not sure. So he's you... just got it set to the side of it rather than yeah. above it or below it. Where I well, suppose the snares are underneath, so he's probably trying to get that. You know, they've tried to get that rattle of the snares from underneath. Right. Um, but yeah, that's I guess he gets I that cleaner sound that way. I yeah, think it's maybe. just cleaner, crisper. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Well, he obviously knew what he was doing, so fair play. Well, luckily, you're guaranteed to blow our minds, aren't you? Yes, it's time for Simon Says. Guaranteed to blow your mind. It's time for a Hollywood remix. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. Oh, dear. No. Oh, yes. Oh, no. And this one's going out to you, Ro. It's oh, your God. favourite track. No, are they going to ruin it? No, they'll improve it. You can't. You can't ruin that. Oh, oh, God. Can you? Are you ready for this? Will my love for the track overcome? Let's see. Jesus Christ. I oh. just love the fact that we've just spent the last, whatever, minutes talking about Deacon's brilliant bass line and the first thing you do on the remix is take that out. <laughs> Get yeah. rid of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Isn't it incredible how the original track written in 1980 doesn't date and then this more modern remix in, what, 2000? When was 1991. it? 1992? 1991. 91, yeah. Where, you know, that whole sort of soup dragon Indian rope band sound was happening. Like, yeah. But yeah. that has dated. And it's yeah. incredible that the, the original track now seems more current yeah. than the remix. Um, I might actually sneak that into my playlist, but don't tell John Robbins. <laughs> what is it with Queen and remixes? Because... Like, there's quite a few remixes in in the Queen canon. Mm. So there's the um, the, the Rick Rubin of, remix yeah. of 
of uh, We Will Rock You, which I really like. Mm-hmm. There's You Don't Fool Me, the remixes. There's all of these Hollywood remixes. Was this, I've probably asked this before, was it Queen's idea or the record label's idea? I think it's very much driven by the record label. Um, and I think it is a, look, there's a new sound out and, you know, get get into that audience and show them that Queen music can... But it was a big deal in the early 90s. Like, if you bought a single, yeah. it wouldn't be a single with a B-side. It would be a single with five remixes, five remixes. of that song on that you would never listen to. Yeah. It's it's quite weird, isn't it? It is. That sort of oh, do you mean remixes in like, general? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. like between 91 and 94. It was all the rage, yeah. But it, I, I guess it's it is to try and get the music into the clubs, you know, because that's where... You know, where people were going and consuming the music. Mm. I don't think Queen have ever really been a big club act, have they? Well, of course. Well, a lot of Freddie stuff has been in clubs. Fred stuff. Was, what yeah. I would say is, you know, you go to these superstar DJs and you get them to remix it, and then you've guaranteed that they will play that in their club and their their sets, yeah. and it'll get listened to by a lot more people, and it'll get the music out there and make some money. I think. Yeah. But I think you're right. There was a big. There was a big. Uh, you know, there was a huge industry in remixing, particularly in that era. And as always, Queen look at what's going on and get involved with it. I imagine um, it's something uh, that Brian know? and Roger had to be very heavily persuaded. To, to, Do you reckon? Yeah, I maybe. Would, I would imagine they would have gone, really? But maybe. okay, if you guys say so, you know. Do you think they ever listened to it? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure they would have done. Did they have to listen to it and sign off on it, do you think? I'm sure they did. Amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you for bringing that absolute uh, disaster into our podcast. Thank you very much. <laughs> it was fun. It was fun. They're it's always fun. They never let us down, do they? They are. They, the they are. They're always really entertaining. Really entertaining. <laughs> I love that they exist, actually. It's a very sweet thing. Listen, we're down to the final track on this side of the album. It is Crazy Little Thing Called Love. Yeah, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, written by Freddie Mercury. We do talk about this on Greatest Hits mini episode, episode nine, of course. But uh, here's uh, uh, about a minute's worth of the track that we haven't played on the pod before, I don't think. So let's listen to that. Childers' bass line is just, he is, it's the whole side of this album, well the whole album is built on John's bass line, it is incredible. Um, Shall we have a quick look at how it charted? 
Yes, please. UK single sounds. Uh, so uh, it was released a lot earlier than all these other songs. We'll come on to this in a second, Simon. But uh, it was released in October 79, and it peaked at number two in the UK, uh, week beginning the 18th of November 1979. At number 10 was One Step Beyond by Madness. Mm. At number nine was Ladies' Night by Cool and the Gang. <laughs> at number eight was Knocked It Off by B.A. Robertson. I hope that wasn't BA from the A team. Number seven, that was Gimme, Gimme, Gimme by ABBA. Uh, number six, No More Tears, Enough is Enough by Donna Summer and Barbara Streisand. Uh, number five, One Day at a Time by Lena Martel. And number four, Still by the Commodores. And number three, The Eaton Rifles by The Jam. Number two, Crazy Little Thing Called Love. And at number one, When You're in Love with a Beautiful Woman. Ah, you know that's hard. By Dr. Hook. What a time to be alive. Um, So, yeah, this was the last single that the band released in the 70s. And there were a number of songs that were, I think, four tracks that were recorded a bit earlier on this album, right, Simon? Which was, I think, Save Me was one of them, Crazy Little Thing Called... Because they went on tour, they did the Crazy Tour before the game was released, I think. Have I got my history right? You've got it spot on. The idea was to try oh. out Music Land with Mac and see how it went. So they just booked some time, went in, ended up recording four tracks, as you say. I think Save Me was another one that they did in this session. But um, Crazy Little Thing Called Love was unusual for Queen because it was a track that was finished really quickly. Normally they would take weeks to sort of finesse it and so forth. But this one happened in a very, very short period of time. So they thought it they'd... Um, they put it out while, and then they went on tour, as I said, did the crazy tour. We'll talk about that next week because it was quite an interesting, unusual tour for Queen. Um, and went to number one in the US, I believe. Um, yeah, it was their first number one in the US, wasn't it? So um, kind of they went, oh, this is going good. <laughs> but then, I remember uh, Jim Jenkins saying that the crazy tour was his favourite tour of all it of the It was a very intimate see. tour, yeah, so it's good. Right. Um, yeah, so uh, it came out about, well, nearly a year, didn't it, before the album then came out. So the interesting thing about that is, you know, uh, was the fan reaction at the time. I mean, I think at this point, everyone has a great deal of affinity for the game at the very least. At the very least. Say that you've uh, got the greatest hits or you've just watched the movie and you want to try a studio album out. I think this is the best studio album to start with. Uh, because it's 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 solid, it's even, and all the tracks. You know, there's so many tracks on it that you know, and it, it's just just bridges that sort of 80s and 70s kind of uh, sound really well. At the time, I think the fans may have n- not been so enamoured with it because, of course, they'd already seen a lot of these songs on the tour and knew them already, uh, and the the album itself was 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 a bit shorter than any of the previous ones. It's only it's under 40 minutes long, so. Um, there was probably a sense that they were a little bit, uh, there was a little bit of dissatisfaction with the game from the sort of the hardcore fans. Or have I, am I kind of extrapolating something that wasn't there? I don't know that for a fact, but I, I can absolutely see that. But I think this was very much Queen playing for America. That's what they were going for. Of course. You know, News of the World had done well. And they well. did it well. Yeah, and We Were Rocking Where the Champions had done well in the States, you know, they hadn't topped the charts, but they'd gone down well. Um, and then they followed up with crazy little thing called love and, Oh, it's number one. And I think when you look at the game album, there's a lot there that's, that's playing to the American market. So maybe there was a slight risk that they might annoy slightly the, uh, the UK fans, but the UK fans were, you know, loyal and 
you know, tolerant of what the band were trying to do. So, you know, we're behind them. Yeah, yeah. Put together very quickly, this, wasn't it? You know, Freddie mm. wrote it quickly. Uh, Ratty went and grabbed him a guitar. <laughs> Yes, yeah. into the bathroom while I was in the bathroom. He got it written, and uh, it was recorded very quickly. Uh, um, uh, some say thirty minutes it took to record, but um, uh, according to Maca, slightly more believable, six hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, John, have you got anything to add on that track? It's not one of your favourites, right? Is there any anything else on its impact or anything? That no, you want to say? it's not. But I I think it shows that when Queen want to do a genre they haven't done before, they can do it better than a lot of people who've been recording in that sort of uh, area for years mm, uh, mm. I love it live because I love the extended guitar solo that Brian does a Telecaster when it's live but for the recording he used a 1967 Fender Esquire which belonged to Roger which we discussed at some length Mm. Um, and there's quite a few conflicting stories about that but it was it was the Fender Esquire that was used in the studio and then the Telecaster live yeah Um, yeah it's it's just it's not my favorite Queen songs it's not my type of music so but that just goes to show how eclectic they were and yeah you know, they wouldn't be Queen if they weren't trying out new things and always surprising you. Um, but inevitably, if a band are trying, you know, all different genres, every so often they're going to play one that's not really your cup of tea. And uh, so this isn't the American music I like. This isn't the sort of um, American music that I would listen to. Right. But, uh, you know, it's a it's a perfect song. You can't. There's nothing wrong with the song no. at all. Freddie's amazing. He is an amazing man. Um, so that brings us to the end of Side A. Uh, on the next pod, we will be looking at Side B with tracks like Rocket Prime Drive, Don't Try Suicide, Sail Away, Sweet Sister, Coming Soon, and Save Me, which is awesome, awesome, awesome. Uh, but it uh, before that, it behooves us to discuss our Queen de la Queen. Made in heaven, made in heaven. Sure, this is a big surely, one this week. Surely this is an absolute walkover. Shooing, surely. So big debate here. It's, it's going to be Brexit <laughs> all over again, I tell you, because obviously there are three singles on this side of the album, so out of five tracks, we've got to pick between two songs. Dragon Attack, uh, Need Your Loving Tonight. So which one are you going for, Simon? Is this a tough one for you? Well, it always is, is it? isn't it? You know, I... But... <laughs> It's no contest, is it? It's Dragon Attack all day long. It's Dragon Surely. Attack. It's Dragon Attack. Sure. Uh, I did text Suze to ask her what her choice was, and it was Dragon Attack. No, of course it was. Go on, John. Where are you? Delta Alpha for me. Delta Alpha. <laughs> <laughs> wow, fantastic. And I am, of course, uh, uh, Dragon Attack, which I do think means it's the first time ever that we are absolutely have consensus 
Yeah, on the Queen's on that one. I think you're right. Unanimous. That was the word I was looking for. Oh, Thank yeah. you, Simon. That's all right. Brilliant. Dragon attack is in the Queen of the Queen. I could not be I'm so happy, I'm so happy, I'm so happy. Well, there you have it. Please email us with your stories and questions. Queenpod at thequeenpodcast.com. Comment at thequeenpod on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Please do. We do love to hear from you. Get along to our Facebook page. There's loads going on there. Sarah Chapman runs uh, an amazing, brilliant little site and everyone's in a great mood over there. Uh, And do take some time to give us a star rating on your podcast platform. Anyone got anything to plug? I don't know, depending on release dates. I would imagine... Uh, the interview that Ellis and I did with Brian May for our podcast, How Do You Cope, will be out soon. It's not next week, but it may be the week after. I haven't got the full release schedule, but I think that will be a fascinating, very deep dive uh, into Brian's story for an awful lot of Queen fans. So do check that out. Yeah, definitely. Okay, and in terms of your reference points for weeks... We are recording uh, on the uh, penultimate day of March in 2022. So I guess you're saying mid-April, yeah? Yeah, it will be out in April, I would have thought, yeah. Great, brilliant. I'm very excited to listen to that. Um, Awesome, John. Thank you so much. Well, that is all we have time for. We will see you again next time. Thank you very much. Thank you to producer Sam, to Simon and to John. Goodbye. Bye-bye. This has been The Queen Pod, a Seven Seas Films production. Edited and produced by me, Sam Easton. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and stay in touch by emailing queenpod at thequeenpodcast.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.